Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Well, uh, as mentioned, you know, we are on a, a, a new series uh, called Spiritual Practices, and this will go on for nine weeks. Uh, this week is week one. Uh, you know, we are, we're a bit uh, into service already, uh, and I do have a lot of ground to cover because it's week one, so, you know, you all can track me, yes? Agree? This is the agree phase? Yeah. Right? Track me, and uh, we might go a bit longer, uh, no promises there, but, you know, you all love sermon time, right? You all love yes. this? Yes. Anywho, yeah, so a lot of ground to cover, but uh, I, I think, you know, it'll be a good place. Let's uh, pray as we begin, shall we? Father, we thank you for the time that we get to spend together. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word uh, speaks to us in, even in our present day, that it's not an outdated piece of literature, but it's living, it's breathing, it's speaking. So God, uh, we ask today, even as we open your word, Lord, that you will speak to us. Meet us here in this moment, in circumstance, in trial, in our weakness, that you will meet us here. Speak to us, we ask. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen, amen. Spiritual practices. So chill. The, the tagline and all. Oh, so nice. <clears throat> Can you all cue my music? <clears throat> now, you might think I'm going to rap, but please calm yourself down. I'm not, I'm not rapping. But uh, how many of you know uh, who, who sang this song? Sam Smith, yeah? No, I attended a Sam Smith concert in Singapore recently. Don't judge. Pastors do go for concerts. Uh, and we all know Sam is a brilliant singer, sang the James Bond theme. Uh, but we also know that Sam uh, grew up uh, in the faith and has a lot of struggle and uh, was in the Catholic school and struggles a lot with faith. You know, but uh, when I was hearing this song in the, in the concert, it was the first time I heard the song. It really struck me. Uh, some of the lyrics that, that it sang, but particularly in verse 2. Can we have verse 2 lyrics up? And can we like up the volume a bit? Alright. And here it goes in verse 2. Please do not sing along. <laughs> okay. You won't find me in church. No! Reading the Bible. No! I am still here and I'm still your disciple. Down on my knees, I'm begging you please. I'm broken, alone, and afraid I'm not a saint I'm more of a sinner I don't want to lose But I fear for the winners When I try to explain The words right away That's why I am still here today And I'm gonna pray okay. <laughs> I saw some of your swing uh. How dare you But <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, well, I, I, I cannot really comment on Sam's faith journey because I don't know him personally, but you know, I would so love for him to uh, come back to church and lead us in worship. I mean, that's a killer voice, right? Brave, you make me brave. You know, and so you have to be familiar with brave. Anyway, um, but I, 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 I was so... In, um, you know, verse 2 re- really uh, spoke a lot to me, uh, especially the first two lines. Uh, in that song, uh, as he processes his 
uh, grievance, honestly, with uh, faith, institutional Christianity. Uh, as he processes it, uh, he, he writes and pens these two lines. You won't find me in church? No. Reading the Bible? No. I am still here, and I'm still your disciple. And I think these two lines really capture... Um, the, the defining spirit, the defining mood of our generation, of our day and age. Uh, in many ways, uh, our generation today wants God or wants a kind of God, uh, but doesn't really want to live under the rulership of God. Like that somehow we, we want um, Jesus, but um, adopting His way, adopting His practices is something that uh, we don't want to do so much. And some, somehow we've created a category of faith in the church today where you can be a Christian in name but deny him in practice. That's the defining spirit of our generation of this day and age today. The notion is such that you can somehow separate experiencing the life of Jesus, his kingdom, from practicing the life of Jesus, essentially wanting the kingdom without a king. But here's our belief. Our belief, as we've discussed a bunch of times in different sermons, is that if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Do we agree on that? Yes? But I don't think uh, many of us will fit into that category of like still being on the fence of like, really, do I want the lifestyle of Jesus? I believe all of you are here by virtue of you being here. And, you know, because I know a bunch of you and where you're at, you know, you want the lifestyle of Jesus. You want to live into the Christian faith. Most of us are in that place. But I think for most of us, we are, you know, we are on board with following Jesus. We love God. We love His Word. We recognize our brokenness, our deep need for Him, our need to be transformed. We recognize that we need to be transformed. We recognize that, hey, you know, that it's not enough to just have Christian uh, as a title of my religious beliefs, but I want to live into what Christianity is. I want to live into this kingdom of God. I want to live into what Jesus described as fullness of life. I want to live into that. I want to be transformed. In fact, a, a good way of summing up our passion statement, which is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the works of Jesus, is the word transformation. And the word for transformation in the Bible is the Greek word metaphoro. Everybody say metaphoro? metaphoro. I don't think I'm pronouncing that right, but... They don't know the difference anyway, which is where we get the word metamorphosis. And the dictionary describes it as such, metamorphosis, a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism as from the caterpillar to the pupa and from the pupa to the adult butterfly. A profound change in form from one stage to the next. And the question is for most of us, you know, uh, for all of us who desire transformation, to desire to walk into the way of Jesus is a simple question. Are we there yet? Are we living into that life? Can we say that you know, our life for the most part looks like series and, and, and processes and moments where we experience a profound change in form from one stage to the next? Are we there? The, the, the truthful answer is that no, most of us are still in process. Or perhaps you would admit that you are stuck somewhere in faith, somewhere in dysfunction. Perhaps you are stuck in emotional pain from your past, family or relationship. You're addicted to porn, to alcohol, to substance or to busyness. You're stuck in dysfunctional patterns and behaviours. You're stuck in a rut that you know is toxic and unwell. But here's the thing that undergirds our very faith. 
no matter how bleak the situation, no matter how dire the circumstance, no matter how um, set in the dysfunction is in your life, transformation is possible. Transformation is possible. That is the essence of hope in our faith. Transformation is possible. Transformation in our society, transformation in our world, transformation even in the midst of the darkness of our own soul. Transformation is possible. Can I have my picture up? How many of you know who these guys are? Tommy, Jason, Kimberly, and I forget the rest. But uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, you know, and I think all of us grew up with some form of Power Rangers. You know, mine was Mighty Morphin, the OG. You might grow up with like the ninja ones or the car ones, but these guys are the best. Uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and uh, it's all about... Just a bit of backstory if you don't know who the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers are. The Y6 Zordon orders his robotic assistant Alpha 5 to select five teenagers with attitude to defend the Earth from Rita's attacks. Their rallying cry in moments of crisis was, It's Morphin Time! And Morphing, not Morphin, huh? Morphin Time. Very different, very different stuff. In case you don't know, M O R P H I N G. Morphing Time. Yeah, morphine time is different. The actions. Anyway, they will shout, it's morphine time, and they'll be transformed with the ability to do extraordinary things. And every episode is basically the same premise. The teenagers will be cornered. There's a bad guy, big bad guy. And then they're cornered, they look like it's hopeless, they look like you know, they're not going to win, and then it's morphine time, and then they transform into Power Rangers. And then the bad guy gets bigger, and then they're like, oh no, bad guy. And then suddenly they have like, animal robots called Zords. And they come out and there's big animal robots fighting the big bad guy. And then the bad guy gets bigger. And then somehow the Zords transform into a Megazord. Don't take my word for it. Watch the show. It's pretty good. I think it's on Netflix now. Anywho. You see, as a kid, I was never on my edge, uh, on the edge of my seat when it comes to Power Rangers. Because it's pretty predictable, right? The Power Rangers would eventually win. You know, when they face a difficult circumstance or they face a bad guy that is like getting bigger and bigger, somehow, some way, they would morph, they would transform into something better. I know this is a very dumb analogy, but here's my point. John Ortberg puts it brilliantly. The possibility of transformation is the essence of hope. The possibility of transformation is the essence of hope. Knowing that transformation is possible, real, and on the horizon gives us the metal courage and hope to face the day. Transformation is possible. There is hope on the horizon. But for most of us, it's not that we don't want to change. And it's not that we are not trying to change or we think that transformation is impossible, right? We all want to change. We're all trying to change. We believe that change is possible. It's that most of us don't know how to change. We live in the age of self-help, therapy, and technique obsession. Deep down, we all know we are broken and need to change. We need transformation. The question is, how? There seems to be an insurmountable gap between what we believe ought to be and what we are currently experiencing. How do we live in the middle? And how do we live into that vision of a good life? How do we live into that vision of transformation? How do we live into the vision of life in all its fullness? I remember the song we used to sing in the youth group, which you banned after a while. It goes like this. I said on Sunday how much I want revival, and then on Monday, I can't even find my Bible. 
Where's the power? The power of the cross in my life. <laughs> Man, that's so describes where we're at, huh? We so long for freedom. We so long for transformation. We so long to experience the liberating, easy yoke of Jesus. We so long to love spiritual things. To not just tolerate them, but to love spiritual things. We so long to hate the things that He hates. We so long for these things. But yet, it doesn't even seem at all remotely close on the horizon. What do we do? How are we transformed? This week, one of spiritual practices, and my sermon title for today is this, Spiritual Practices, Formation Through Practice. Formation Through Practice. And what I'm doing in this uh, week's uh, sermon is I'm laying the groundwork, not just for the series, but honestly for the church. And we'll be living into this vision of practice uh, for as long as I can envision it. I I see it being something that will work out in years. And my goal for us as a church is that we'll we'll develop such a culture of practice over perfection. We'll develop a culture of practice over perfection that uh, we will live into uh, the abundant life that Christ has called us to live uh, with, not simply by being inundated with information, but we will seek to live out that which we have heard in our daily lives. Formation through practice. And this is the start of our nine-week teaching series. Woo! Which I will take breaks here and there because, you know, I am only human and I need margin. Uh, but I have some recommended readings for you. Can we have that slide up? Uh, you can snap a, a picture of these. Uh, these are great books that have really spoken to me. But uh, if uh, you, you're not a picture person, these uh, book links, the Amazon links, will be on our um, app and uh, you'll all be there. And uh, as we get to know more books, uh, we'll put those up as well. My school hall, I've got recommended readings for. Okay. <clears throat> I love books. Now, if you grew up in the tradition that I grew up with, for the most part, transformation or your idea of transformation looks like an instantaneous, in-the-moment kind of thing. Or at least that's what divine transformation looks like. It looks like coming to the altar with the right music in the back, with a compelling message in front of you, with the right person praying for you, with the placebo effect. I'm just kidding, but, you know, we, we, our idea of transformation looks a lot like that. You come to the front, the stars align, it's a divine moment in a divine time, and then bam, in a moment, everything is set right. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that God is able to do such things. I've seen addiction broken in a moment. I've seen bondages broken. I've seen relationships restored in a moment. I believe that God is able to do such things. Now, I remember, um, you know, I was uh, in a weird place in my faith, you know, uh, when I was a bit younger, and I was doubting even the existence of God. I was participating in church, but no, I wasn't sure whether God really existed. How many of you are there? No, you are all super saints. But, um, you know, I was doubting even the existence of God, and I decided, you know what, let me go on a mission trip. And I remember I went on a mission trip with a pastor named James Singh. Yep. If you don't know who he is. Yep. But, uh, but I went on a mission trip with him, and uh, it was really powerful. I seen, saw him praying for different people, different people falling, flying, and all that good stuff. You know, Christian recreation is best. And uh, I know I was serving um, throughout the trip. And on the last day of the trip, you know, um, James calls me, Pastor James calls me, forward and he says, I want to pray for you. And so he, he prays for me and uh, I, 
I don't really have the words to describe to what happened. All I knew was um, I just felt waves and waves and waves of electricity run through my body. I was shaking and convulsing and uh, moving into actions that I wouldn't be, have been able to do because I lacked the flexibility for it. <laughs> but, you know, I was shaking, shaking, and then I was out on the ground. And the, and the only thing I remember was I had to be uh, carried back, you know, to my hotel room. And, um, and that was all I remember, you know. And, and you know, uh, it was a powerful in-the-moment thing. I know I, till today, I still don't ha really have language for it. But all I would describe uh, that was a fruit from that moment was that I... I I knew God was real. I knew I was known by God. And uh, on some level, you know, I was scared out of my mind because I came face to face with the power of God. And in that moment, you know, I was marked with such uh, a hunger and desire for the power of God in my life. You know, I was marked with a love for people, with a love for missions. And that all happened in a moment. How many of you have had encounters like that, you know, where yeah, you came to the front or someone prayed for you and God just met you right there and then in the moment? How many of you have, have had those moments, yeah? How many of you can even recall details about those moments, yeah? A lot of you are able to describe them in detail, what exactly happened, who was there, what the prayer was about, because it's so significant and special. My point is this. The reason why you're able to remember it in such deep detail and you're able to recall it, and it's so significant and special, it is because it's simply rare and few, right? You know, you don't have like one of those encounters every day. You know, God willing, we, we would, but you all know that these deep, profound encounters where we come face to face with God, where we're transformed in an instant, it's rare, it's few, it's not common. Am I making sense? Yeah. Right? And then how do we live, you know, uh, in light of that, you know, for most of us uh, growing up, like, you know, we would try to be transformed, we would come, we would get prayer, and then when the prayer doesn't work, we go, hey, we'll try again next week, and next week we'll come to the front, and we almost approach transformation with a lottery mentality. Hey, one day, God willing, when the stars align, when things are all in the right order, transformation would happen. And transformation, or the work of it is, we've almost relegated it to being a purely sovereign divine thing that we have virtually no part in. All we have to do is show up, and then it will happen. I would like to propose otherwise. Is all transformation supposed to be spectacular and instantaneous, public, with a compelling call and ban? Or is there a form of transformation that looks more like a long process where we are continually and intentionally shaped and molded into the image of Christ, where we grow to become all that God has intended for us to be. Is there a place for us to lean on God, the Holy Spirit, for divine intervention, yet participate with the work of transformation in very real and practical ways, where God has a part and we have a part, a co-laboring kind of a thing? The answer to both questions is a resounding yes. That long-drawn process of transformation it takes time to come into fruition. It's called spiritual formation. And how we actively participate with the work of transformation is through spiritual disciplines, or what I prefer, spiritual practices. Let's look at a passage of the Bible in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 29. Are you all with me? Is this big enough? Made it bigger this time. And he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? 
Will they not both fall into the ditch? A disciple, now this is a word uh, that is, uh, the Greek word metates, which translates to student, apprentice, disciple. A disciple is not above his teacher, his rabbi, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his rabbi, will be like his teacher. Now that is where we get that whole idea of being with Jesus as one of our primary goals of apprenticeship, of discipleship to Jesus. The student, the metatase, which translates to disciple or apprentice, his end goal of discipleship to Jesus was this, to become like him. That's the why. That's the why of all that we do, to become like Jesus. The service, spiritual practices, all that we do is unto that goal of being like Jesus. Go be like Jesus. Okay, how? The answer, in short, is through transformation, or another term for it is spiritual formation. I know this is pretty heavy stuff, but track me, I'm taking you somewhere. Let's have Dallas Willard up. Let me just preface uh, this sermon will have a lot of Dallas Willard in it, not because I idolize him, but because you know he's pretty, pretty legit with stuff like that, but track me on Dallas Willard. You're good? Okay. The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that fill the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. I think that's a wrong quote, even though that's an awesome quote. Let me read to you the right quote. Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. That's the right quote. It's a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus. Here's the point I want to make, and if you remember anything at all in my one hour, one hour fifteen maybe sermon, remember this point. Spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. It is a human thing. Spiritual formation is not a Christian thing, but a human thing. When people think of the word spiritual formation, they think of some disembodied, airy, fairy, hippie energy kind of a thing. Or we think it's like a Holy Spirit possession, power infusion kind of a thing. First of all, the spirit that we're talking about here is not the Holy Spirit, but it is in reference to your spirit. Say your spirit. Your spirit is in reference to your will, your heart, and your mind. And to be human is simply this. It is to be dynamic, not static. We never stop becoming somebody. And whether we like it or not, we are all being formed right now. But most certainly throughout life, by the stories we believe, by our experiences, by our interactions, by what we watch, by what we say, who we follow, etc. The question today isn't whether you are a disciple or not. It is who or what you are a disciple of. The question isn't whether you are a follower or not. It's who or what you are a follower of. The question isn't so much whether you are being transformed. It is who or what you are being transformed into. They say we see an upwards of 4,000 advertisements a day, either subliminally, knowingly, etc. Some of you in the industry would notice that all of these are designed to stoke the fires of unfulfilled desires in our belly. 
Social media, of course, takes this problem to a whole new level, not just from the advertising wing of whatever product company, the rich and the famous, but also from our family and friends who, with good intention, curate the best moments of their lives, as we do ours, and unintentionally play into what is one of the core sins of the human condition, that of envy. The average 21st century adult spends four hours watching TV, four and a half hours listening to music, 200 minutes on their phone, 135 minutes on social media, and 16 minutes reading per day. Each and every day, we are exposed to countless images and words in the form of media, stories, texts, and sound bites, all of which are warring for space in our thought, our ideas, and our feelings, or what the New Testament calls our mind. When asked uh, about the different competitors that are coming up against him, the Netflix CEO said, I don't worry about those competitors because Netflix's competitor is sleep. Think about that. The Netflix CEO said that their chief competitor is sleep. There is literally a war for your rest, for your peace, and I'll put it even further, for your affections. There are forces at play right now. They are trying to pull your affection away from he who deserves all of it. You are being formed every day, whether you believe it or not. And our discipleship to Jesus has to offset all of that. We are coming against something. Our disordered desires, also known as the flesh, the pool of culture, what is the societal norm, etc., much of our work in reality is counterformation to undo that which the world has set on the throne of your heart. Counterformation. Into this task of living into the way of Jesus, practicing his way, spiritual practices, we have to realize that the wind is not on our backs. We are not being pushed into the right direction, but the wind is quite literally against us. We are coming against something. We are coming against the tide of culture, societal norms, established habits and mental pathways. It's a lot of work and it will feel unnatural. But just because it's unnatural doesn't make it religious or unbiblical. I think of the Dietrich Bonhoeffer line where he says this, this must be stronger than that. And he means the work of the kingdom, work of discipleship, must be stronger than the work of the enemy, must be stronger than the poor of culture. This, what we are doing, spiritual formation, must be stronger than the formation that the world brings through culture. This must be stronger than that. Our discipleship to Jesus has to be stronger than the culture all around us, than our unsanctified des- desires, even the pool of the city we all love and live in. Am I making sense? Favorite passage of scripture, Romans chapter 12. Romans is easily my, my, my favorite. Is that a word? My most favorite. I'm married to an English teacher, so I have to be proper. Most favorite? Favorite? Most favorite. Okay. I've learned. Uh, it's one of my, it is uh, my favorite book of the New Testament. I love it for many reasons. And Romans 12, uh, you know, I've quoted it a bunch of times in church. It's one of my favorite verses. Now, Romans is a brilliant book. Really spend your time reading it. It's so powerful. But after 11 chapters of mind-blowing Pauline theology, information overload, Paul arrives at Romans chapter 12. And he says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present 
your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word that is used to describe uh, the renewing of mind in Greek is the word metanoia, and it simply means this, to change your mind. If we read further into the New Testament, you would soon realize that Paul was obsessed with the believer's thought life. Let's have the next slide up. He quotes it many times. We have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians. We take every thought captive to obey Christ, 2 Corinthians. Set your minds on things above, Colossians, and let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Now, I read it uh, earlier, that Dallas Willard quote, that says, it's the process of spiritual formation or transformation in Christ is one of progressively replacing destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that fill the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. Now, what I believe Paul in his writings in Romans chapter 12 and what Dallas uh, is describing is a study, uh, it's called uh, neuroplasticity. I know I'm not that smart. I'm a, just a brilliant Googler. Neuroplasticity. Now, I think many of you, a good chunk of you, have had some cursory readings of it. Those of you that are trained uh, in psychology, you would know a bunch about it. But now, a great guy that I've, I've read recently who writes a lot about neuroplasticity and how it relates to spiritual formation and practice explains it in such a simple manner. He goes like this. Neurons that repeatedly activate in a particular pattern are statistically more likely to fire in that same pattern, the more they are activated. Once the initial neurons in the network fire, there's a very high probability that the related neurons will also activate and move along the same bioelectrical pathway to the end of the network. Let me give the layman explanation. Basically, if you have a thought, it is statistically more likely for you to have that thought again. And when you have that thought again, it's statistically likely for you to have that thought again and again. Mental pathways. Next slide. He explains it simpler. The more frequently those patterns have been fired, the more easily they will fire in that same pattern in the future. That's why you may immediately recall the ingredients and steps to preparing spaghetti, which you make every week, but need to consult the cookbook when preparing a holiday dish you haven't made in years. Whether we choose to believe it or not, there are mental pathways that are at work in your mind as we speak. Now, this is both a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because... When I wake up in the morning, I don't turn to my wife and go, what's your name? She doesn't have to wear a name tag. Right? It's a good thing because, you know, that thought it has already been established in the form of a mental pathway. But it's a bad thing because we all know that we have thoughts, emotional and mental patterns that are dysfunctional, that are contrary to the way of Jesus. And because of neuroplasticity, these thoughts are something that we revisit again and again and again. And it's honestly what keeps us bound and trapped. Am I making sense? That is why the renewal of the mind, undoing thought patterns, dismantling lies, and replacing it with truth is essential in transformation in discipleship. But I'd like to take us a bit further. New Testament commentary explains that verse that we just read, Romans 12, in this way. It is a new orientation in our thinking that leads to a new orientation in behavior. Here, Paul touches on the heart of the New Testament, 
for the result of this transformation is that we will be able to please God by doing His will. The truth I want to communicate to you after all of that is simply this. Getting the right ideas into your head is the starting point, not the ending point. It is not enough. Because simply put, you cannot think your way into Christ-likeness. You have to live into it. You cannot think your way into Christ-likeness. You have to live into it. It's not so much about getting more data, more information into your mind, but it's about what you do with it with your body. Yet so much of the pursuit of spiritual growth, formation and transformation looks like attending more conferences, reading more books, getting more information because we have somehow played into the belief that as long as I get more information, somewhere down the road, there will be a tipping point where I will truly be transformed. And let me put it across to you this morning that it does not work that way. You do not think yourself into Christ-likeness. You have to live into it through practice. In many ways, we've chosen to live by the philosopher René Descartes' line that goes, I think, therefore, I am. We can somehow believe or amass data and information and then simply be. With that theory, all you need to do in order to have a healthy marriage is to read a book about healthy marriages. With that being said, all you have to do in order to be ripped is to watch a YouTube video about some, of some guy exercising and eating right and then you'll be okay. Amass information and then you'll simply be. I think, therefore, I am. How's that working out for you? <laughs> we all know this. Right beliefs require right habits, routines, rituals, and practices in order to be realized into our lives. Am I making sense? Yeah. We're all familiar with the Sermon of the Mount, yes? Matthew chapter 5 to 7. And uh, scholars would call this the constitution of the kingdom of God. Uh, many will refer to this as Jesus' vision for humanity. It is a new way to be human. Jesus cast that as a vision for humanity. In the passages, uh, Matthew chapter 5 and 7, we see these verses uh, that I'll show you in a, a bit, that book and a bulk of Jesus' teaching that gives us insights to the way the kingdom of God works. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus makes this line. He says this, But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great, in the kingdom of heaven. Now this is right around the start of Jesus' address to that group of people. And what we commonly refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, but whoever practices and teaches his commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. We look down a bit further in Matthew chapter 7, as he's closing up, he says this, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Mic drop moment. And it fell with a great crash. Jesus starts and ends his premier teaching, his vision for humanity, for human flourishing, with a call to practice. And that is the rhythm we are to adopt here. Teaching and practice. Information and then application. Revelation and then response. It is a rhythm of spiritual maturity or spiritual formation. It has to lead to practice because simply put, we cannot think our way into Christ like this. 
we have to live into it through practice. That making sense? James K. Smith, uh, who wrote the book Practicing the Way of Jesus, the book I recommended earlier, uh, shares this really funny story. Uh, his wife, uh, uh, for many years, has been trying to convince him to uh, uh, eat good food. By good food, he, she meant uh, food that was nutritious, but also food that was ethically sourced, that came from the right places. She describes them as happy pigs, as pigs who uh, didn't grow up in, uh, I don't know what's the word for it, they, they grew up in humane environments, which is pretty oxymoronic, but anyway. Uh, you know, eat good food, make sure the pigs are happy and they die happy, etc. It's happy pigs and humane, good, ethically sourced food. And so she was trying to like convince him to live into such a way. And so uh, the way she spoke to her husband, who was a pastor, a writer, uh, was to get him a bunch of books. And so he was reading all these books and uh, story goes one day, one day he was reading this book and it was so, so compelling. And as he was reading it, he was like highlighting and saying amen. And uh, in his words, he was both convicted and compelled as he read that book about how you must eat ethical, how these like big retail stores and, and they are like, you know, not treating animals right. And you need to get food that's nutritious, that's good for you. And he was like really convicted and compelled by all that he was reading. And midway through that feeling of conviction, he paused and he looked up. And he realized the incredible irony of that moment. He was sitting in a food court in Costco, which is like a big retail. How many of you have been to Costco? Yeah, you know, it's big. Retail is mass produced. It's definitely not anywhere close into the, the ethical margin. And he was holding a large foot-long hot dog as he was eating that. He was, eating a, he was munching on this hot dog as he was reading about eating right, about like ethically sourced food. He then remarked that I... That Pork that I was eating was probably not happy pig. It was probably a really sad pig. But anyway, while the book convinced, convinced his intellect, it did not inform his hunger. The book convinced his intellect, but it did not inform his hunger. While he wanted something intellectually, it did not immediately correspond into a deep desire. There was a tangible picture of the gap between what he wanted and what he thought he wanted. That's such an accurate picture, right, of our lives, our current cultural moment. We want the abounding life of Jesus, yet at the same time, we want whatever your hot dog is. We want Jesus, but yet we want our own way. We want him intellectually, but yet we hunger for things that are contrary to his way. Here's a simple thought. You can't think your way into new hungers. You can't think your way into new hungers. He goes on to say this, Jim Smith. He says, because we are what we want, our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and be intentional about what you love. So discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. What a line. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. You can't think your way into new hungers. The way you enter into a new hunger where you correct your appetite 
It's true training, it's true routine, it's true practice. Am I making sense? Richard Foster, who wrote uh, the book Celebration of Discipline, this is a great book from the 70s. After decades of teaching on spiritual formation, he came to the conclusion in his own language that most people think we change by trying really hard rather than by training really hard when the exact opposite is true. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets a prize? That speaks to our millennial moment. Anyway... It's a smart joke. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Here's a simple thought. There is a place, a central place, for self-effort in your apprenticeship to Jesus, in your walk with Jesus. But it isn't senseless effort, it is training. It is not trying harder, it's training harder. Simple analogy, suppose uh, I have decided to run a marathon, which I might, five years down the road. But uh, suppose I I decide to run a marathon, you know, there's a standard standard chartered marathon uh, at the end of the year, 42.195 kilometers. And, uh, you know, I say in my head, like, I can run this marathon, I can run this marathon, and then, you know, I just show up for that marathon uh, with no training, and I'm like, you know, I've said it in my mind, I believe I can run, I believe I can run, I believe I can run, and so, you know, I have it in my brain that I will, like, try my dundas, I'll push myself to the point of death in order to run that 42.195 kilometers, and so, you know, I run, you know, let's be honest here, Andre can run, let's be conservative, I can do 10, I can do 10, and, and, and not die, and so I, I run the 10 kilometers, and then, you know, maybe I push myself in 11, and then, you know, I am, like, near death. And suppose, you know, I have, like, an added boost, you know, seniors on a bicycle next to me, you know, with, like, two hands is clapping, you know, and he's riding with, like, one leg, because Sieni can do all things, and so he's like, all right, come on, man, come on, you can, you can go, you can do it. And suppose I push another kilometer, and he manages to squeeze, squeeze that out of me, and then I die. What's my point? Okay. Would you say that it's right that I can't run marathons? Or would you say that it is right that I can't run marathons yet? Oftentimes, we try really hard at something and then we hit a roadblock and then we go, it cannot be done. Such is the case for your spirituality. You have a goal for your life. You have a goal. You have a vision for your life. Hey, I want to love Jesus. I want to hate what he hates. I try really, 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 really hard. I want it. I try really, really, really hard. You push yourself to the point where you hit a roadblock. And then all of a sudden you go, it cannot be done. This side of eternity. I'll just wait for Jesus to come and then all things will be made new. I'd like to put it to you. It's not that you can't do it. It's that you can't do it yet. And how you live into that vision, how you gain the ability to do some of these things is through practice. It's through repetition. That's why I love the word practice because the implication is that you won't be good at it right away. But over time, through repeated actions and the mundaneness of it all, you will get better. (coughs) Dallas Willard says this about disciplines. The disciplines are activities of mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. Then 
they enable us more and more to live in a power that is strictly speaking beyond us. I love this line about discipline. It says, a discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. I like to put it to you that the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual practices are not a barometer for your spirituality. There is no value in the discipline and the practice in love itself, but there's tremendous value in what the discipline and the practice produces. The Bible, if you look at it at face value, is just ink on pages. But what it produces in its reading, in the chewing of the scroll, in the ingesting of the scroll, in the reading, in the meditation, in the sitting under his word, produces something that is immeasurably valuable. Thank you, brother. I'm going to land this plane soon. But the truth is this. Let's go back to the marathon analogy. Over time, you don't just become someone through training who can run marathons. Most of the time, I would say even all the time, you grow to be someone who loves running, right? Oftentimes, people who train, who do something over an extended period of time, you know, they do it over time and they train at first, it's tough, at first they don't like it. Over time, they gain the ability to do that task. But most of the time, they grow a love, a desire to do that task. Exercise is one a good way of uh, explaining that eating healthy is, is another good way. Here's the things. Here's the thing. The things that you do on a regular basis, you don't just get better at. It gets into your heart and forms your loves and longings. For those of you who have recently started a journey of exercise, maybe that's just me, but you know, over time, when I do it repeatedly over time, you know, on the days that I don't exercise, I long for it. I like hunger for exercise. I know, wow, Andre, 180 change. Testament of like God's miracle working power. But anyway, you don't just get better at it. forms your loves and longings. Simple statement. You will always crave what you have cultivated an appetite for. You always crave what you have cultivated an appetite for. You think you are just binging on Netflix, but you're doing something to your heart. You think you're just checking out people on Instagram, but you're doing something to your heart. You are cultivating an appetite. You think you are just window shopping, but you're doing something to your heart. The inverse is also true. You think you are just reading your Bible, but you're doing something to your heart. You think you are just singing songs, but you're doing something to your heart. You think you are just praying, but you're doing something to your heart. You think you are just resisting temptation, subtle and unspectacular as it may be, but you are transforming your heart. Every time you fight against temptation, every time you say no, subtle as it may be, you're one step closer to a transformed life, to living into the vision of Jesus' life for you and mine, a life in all its fullness. That is why we're talking about spiritual practices for the next eight weeks. And that is why we're setting this into the very fabric of this church, the foundation of the church, that we will not simply be content with information, with more data, more teaching. But we yearn to live into practicing the way of Jesus together in our city. The next steps as we prepare for the weeks to come is, one, I would like us all to find a community of practice 
This can be a live group. It can be three or four people that you set up a WhatsApp group with. Uh, Mark Skandrat, who wrote that book, the book Practicing of the Way of Jesus, we recommended earlier, he has this uh, thing called Jesus Dojos. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, you heard me right, Jesus Dojos. And so uh, Jesus Dojo is a, a eight-week program uh, that he runs for 20 to 30 people and runs Jesus Dojos. Um, you can look it up. It's really interesting. Um, but the, the idea is this, you know, uh, why he started Jesus Dojos is that so much of uh, the way of Jesus, so much of uh, you know, living into that life requires practice, right? It requires practice. But the way our churches are set up, it's more of like a lecture hall. It's more of like a university lecture hall where you're just fed information. And so he started this whole dojo thing where a community, a, group, a small community, community of people gather together to live into that practice. Now, uh, we all have materials out as per usual uh, with practical things to do together as a community. Uh, this week, we will uh, embark on an exercise together as a community where we uh, even uh, just list down all the habits that we have in life and uh, you know, do an audit and uh, swap it out for the right practices. It's really fun. I have all that information out. Um, but here's the thing on why we need a community. Having a community keeps you accountable and also keeps you encouraged. But you can also get prayer when you hit certain roadblocks. Okay, and so find a community of practice. Uh, if you don't have a life group now, I want to highly encourage you to jump on one. You can reach out to me. I'll get you placed into one. But find a community of people to practice uh, together um, as we embark on different practices. And the next uh, step I'd like us to take is to develop a plan for consistency, for consistent practice. Now, uh, here are a list of uh, spiritual practices that are very well-known in the church that we glean from uh, the teachings of Jesus. These are the more well-known ones. We'll touch on ones that are not super-duper known. And so here, some of it, you know, science of solitude, fasting, that'll be a fun one. Sunday gathering, you know, these days, Sunday gathering is a spiritual discipline. Why? Because, you know, you have, like, worship on tap, on YouTube. I am competing with speakers who, like, speak in the speaking circuit, there's so much great content and information out there. And so, in many ways, coming to church, committing to a Sunday gathering is a spiritual discipline. It requires effort. It requires sacrifice. You can easily be on your bed and participate in the DR church. The bread and cup, worship by singing, teaching, serving, celebration, uh, confession. Interesting one, secrecy. Secrecy is mean, it means when you do awesome Jesus-y, Jesus-y stuff and you don't post it on Instagram. That's secrecy. You, know, you don't go to everyone, I'm on a fast now. You know, I think it's very ironic when people go on social media fast and they go like, I'm on a social media fast by putting on social media. Personal thought only, but never mind. They'll lose some of you. Okay. We'll roll a new spiritual practice uh, each week, but it does help for you to think through how you can keep consistent. Maybe you ought to look at your schedule and set aside time for some of these. Maybe you already have a regular pattern. Some of you might not. Maybe set aside your morning to do some of these spiritual practices, read, pray, etc. When I encourage you to read John's post on spiritual practices, I think that's it's really powerful. It's really powerful. I think it speaks into how um, living into practice requires you to uh, know your stage of life, requires you to know the context that you're planted in. It's so important uh, as a part of living into it. Uh, but to also have an accountability partner, partner, spiritual director, mentor, whatever works for you, but also prepare your heart for the long journey. I'd like to get it into your head today that the journey of transformation will often be a long, arduous, painful, repetitive, mundane one, but into a world that will be described as one that's built on the culture of instant gratification, over-ambition, 
hurry and the compulsive need for entertainment comes a gift from God in the form of a process so slow, repetitive and mundane that it reorients our heart to desire for the kingdom. Tish Warren says this, the crucible of our formation is in the anonymous monotony of our daily routines. The graphic that we chose to, to use to, um, as the, the graphic to um, describe um, these nine weeks that we take together is uh, that graphic. Can we have the graphic up? I don't know whether many of you know this, but this is what uh, is referred to as a spiral graph. Now you go, ooh, what chim thing is this? Let's have my next slide. How many recommend, recognize the thing on the left? You played it, it's like you can buy it from the bookstore for $1.20. At least in my time, these days, probably like $3. But the, the concept behind this is very simple, right? You know, you draw a circle, and then you repeat it, you repeat it, you repeat it, and over time, it becomes an image of beauty, an image so complex and so dynamic, so beautiful. And that is what spiritual practices is all about. It's daily, mundane, repetitive things that you do over the course of time. And over time, it becomes an object so complex, so beautiful, that reflects the glory of God. That's what practices is all about. Repeated, mundane activities. Ordinary habits that make for an extraordinary life. I'll end with a final quote from G.K. Chesterton in his book, Octoxy. He says this, follow me. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And a grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> do you relate, John? <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. Next slide. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to base your life on practicing the way of Jesus, the spiritual practices. If you want to experience transformation, spiritual formation, then the spiritual disciplines are non-negotiable. My dream for our church is that we will be known as a safe place to practice, to pursue becoming, a culture of practice, not performance, a place that values process. At the same time, we don't want to be a church that is just built on an event on Sunday. We want to be a church that practices, that reorients our lives to live into the way of Jesus every day. I said on Sunday how much I want revival. And then on Monday, I read my Bible. Can we stand?